Are you a crazy dog daddy or a crazy cat lady? Do you want to buy an animal? Do you want to become a poor one? <laughs> well, I'm doing something different today on the podcast. I'm talking with the vet, Sarah, about dogs and cats. We're going to answer all your questions. We'll touch on pet insurance, her anecdotal experience. We'll touch a little bit on her experience in her career as a vet, uh, some other issues that are happening in the veterinarian world, and we're just answering all your questions. I've always wanted to do a My Millennial Pet or My Millennial Vet type podcast. Uh, It's a shiny object for me, which I won't be entertaining just now or in the foreseeable future, but I thought I'd scratch my own itch and those of you, our listeners, to do an episode about pets and vets and cats and dogs. Sarah's been part of the My Millennial Money community for some time. She's been a listener to the show. She gets our vibe. And we were emailing once about another matter. And I said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and talk about animals? And she agreed to. So Sarah has been a vet for over five years. She's not in a clinical role at the moment. Uh, We are keeping what she does a little bit private, but her particular interest is in cats and dogs. So we're just asking all the catty and doggy questions. We talk about new owners, bid on insurance, nutrition, teeth, puppies, everything in between. It's a great chat and you're in great hands. Now, we can't do this episode on Thursdays without Global X. From adding some shine to your portfolio with G-O-L-D or bringing a spark with W-I-R-E, Global X offers a wide range of commodity-focused ETFs. They're here to give Aussie investors cost-effective exposure to the most compelling opportunities in commodity markets, including green metals like copper and lithium, carbon allowances and hydrogen. To learn more and before you start investing, please read the applicable PDS and TMD from globalxetfs.com.au. There's also a link to GlobalX in the show notes. So thank you to GlobalX for getting behind this perfect podcast. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Pet. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Glenn. Nice to be here. I think what we should do is just call out a couple of things with this episode. Number one, it isn't really anything to do with money on a money podcast. It is more just a bonus for people who might have animals or might be interested. We'll call out that you've been a vet for five years. At this very minute, you're not working in a clinical sense. You're doing some other stuff in the industry and we'll just keep it like that for your own privacy. Uh, Anything else you want to call out? It's probably the same as... You know, don't listen to a podcast to get financial advice and don't, you know, if we talk about a dog with its leg moving while you scratch the tummy, that might be normal, it might not be, speak to your own vet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, No substitute for personalised advice and, uh, you know, that's true for financial advice and also true for veterinary advice. Yeah, love that. So what we're going to do, everyone, is we're going to split up the episode into some categories Uh, pet insurance and we won't spend too much time on that because we can't really 
um, name any specific companies, but we'll just kind of touch on that. I'll give you my uh, opinion. Sarah will give her anecdotal view of seeing it in the world. We'll talk uh, animals uh, for new owners. We'll talk about nutrition. We'll talk about teeth. We'll talk about puppies. And then we'll talk about other general health or any of the other questions that might come up. From your own experience as a human and a being around pets, the assurance thing aside, stuff can happen out of the blue that can cost thousands. Absolutely. Uh, and I think a lot of people are surprised at how much uh, even apparently basic and simple care can cost, especially over time. I mean, when you think about it, um, most small animals, cats and dogs, will live for 10, 15 up to 20 years and that's a, a pretty long-term relationship and it's a, a long-term dependency that, you know, you uh, ideally would need to be able to know that you can handle financially um, all the things that might pop up in that time. And most, most pet owners want to do the best by their animals um, and obviously life throws us some curveballs every now and then and, you know, sometimes it's a bit hard to do the best you know, uh, the best thing, the best practice. But, you know, I think most people, if they just do the best that they can at the time, that's almost always going to be enough. Yeah. And my own view on pet insurance is, you know, if you want to get it, put it in your budget, pay for it, get on with your life. But before you buy an animal, maybe talk to a local vet and ask them in your area uh, the type of animal that you're uh, going to buy and their own experience with that specific breed with certain insurance companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, obviously there are particular breeds that have known established health issues. And one of those is the flat-faced breeds, the brachycephalics. Um, so your French Bulldogs, your Bulldogs um, and uh, Boston Terriers might fit into that category too. And the Pugs, they're all uh adorable and super sweet most of the time but unfortunately their breeding has resulted in some health uh, confirmation problems that make it difficult for them to get around get about in life and so yeah. and the other thing uh, is like for dachshunds um, a lot of long-bodied dogs for example and basset hounds uh, percentage of those dogs will need spinal surgery in their lifetime and yeah. that is going to be a probably a minimum ten thousand dollar exercise so i feel like um i don't know about specific insurance companies and uh, whether they uh have uh exclusions for certain breeds because of spinal disease for instance or for um brachycephalic obstructive airway syndrome with the the flat set flat, flat faced breeds but um i suspect they may have um exclusions for those conditions yeah, or you'll have to pay more because it's a guarantee claim. <laughs> well, that's right, yes. And yep. I don't know how by how much they might impre increase the premiums, but, you know, it may be, you know, and I guess with all insurance we have a choice, don't we? If you, if you have an income and you can allow for it over time, you can set yourself up an emergency fund, like a pet emergency fund, um, which I have myself. Uh, my own pets are old, uh, older, and I got them when they were older and I think older pets are often excluded um, in the in first instance anyway. Um, so I haven't personally got insurance for my dogs. Yeah. And I'm of the view if I was to get a, a, a pet, I would not have pet insurance. I've just got a fully funded emergency fund. I'm happy to take that risk. But, you know, if you're trying to establish a life and maybe getting out of debt, you shouldn't be buying bloody dogs worth thousands of dollars anyway, uh, but do what you want. But, um, you know, if you are establishing your life and things are a little bit tight and you don't have your emergency fund, as I said, by all means, 
get pet insurance, do your research, hmm. pay for it, get on with your life. Then you might decide, okay, I'll drop the insurance once we get the emergency fund. Uh, but just need to know that it won't cover 100% of the bills, uh, but talk to your local vet and make sure you've got the right insurance and the right insurance company for the right kitten or pup. Yeah, and for whatever you anticipate your circumstances to be, you know, because if yeah. you think you can manage certain, you know, certain things, but there's emergency blowout, like costs that you don't think you're going to be able to manage, then make sure that those sorts of emergency things are covered. Absolutely. So that's all we'll kind of say on insurance. Now, let's move to the topic of a new or potential poor went. <laughs> <laughs> um, very cute. <laughs> yes. Now, Rach and our team, she gets the first question off the bat. Which cat and dog breeds tend to have high cost health problems? And on the flip side, are there any breeds that are considered low maintenance? And I'd probably add in there about pet or breed specific to your location. If you've got an apartment, if you've got a farm, like let's get a bit of planning happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I guess planning is really the big word um, for pet ownership because uh, a lot of the errors or mishaps and kind of um, unforeseen, unexpected issues with pet ownership come from lack of planning or, you know, surprise gifts, for instance. Like um, generally speaking, never a good idea to buy someone an animal as a gift unless they're involved in the project. No, no surprise animal gifts. Like mm. <laughs> generally not a good idea. Um, someone might talk about how amazing it might be to have a cat or dog or how someone else's dog or cat is really cute and then you might make this assumption that they would enjoy one for themselves. But I think in reality um, when it comes to it, a lot of people like to have other people's pets, you know, like, mm. like uh, you know, I imagine um, aunties and uncles like having other people's kids <laughs> for, the, for the day or for the weekend um, and you've got less responsibility. Um, so there are certainly some animals uh, that are high or low maintenance and uh, in general you would say, I could say that the larger the dog, the less energy requirements they have which is a little bit counterintuitive because you think about animals like greyhounds and everyone thinks that they're really energetic and they need lots of exercise, but they're actually a much better small space dog, like an apartment, um, than something like most Jack Russells. So Jack Russell terriers are small. They're usually less than 10 kilos, but they can be just wild <laughs> and yeah. super high energy, um, really active in the mind. Um, and greyhounds, typically they like their run or they like a short walk and then they're just totally lazy and they just want to they, they want to chill out on their comfortable couch preferably um, and and rest for the rest of the day um, so yeah there's there's a, a kind of a stereotype of um, certain animals that might be good or, or more good or less good for certain environments and it's not always what you might think I guess the issue about having a large dog in, a, in an apartment is that you do need the physical space to for them to occupy so if you've got a little shoebox single you know one bedroom apartment then maybe having a great dane or a greyhound might just be physically a bit of a stretch to fit you all in 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 the apartment <laughs> mm. and what about uh cats cats so a lot of cats are really particular in my experience cats are a very special species uh, and they often don't like change so there are some purebred breeds of cat that are particularly active, um, like Siamese. They're really vocal. They'll talk a lot and they uh, like to be with people. Um, and there are other cats, maybe your general domestic kind of moggies, uh, that might be happy to be a bit more independent and not necessarily so touchy-feely. But having said that, 
I find that the individual variation between animals, like individual animals, is is quite um, is quite high. And so, you know, you can get a you can get any cat that's going to be anything. My my own moggy Patrick is a domestic medium hare, and he uh, he's not as cuddly as I wanted. I wanted a cuddly cat, and I didn't get him. <laughs> he was he was the cat in the shelter that had been there for the longest, um, and they told me he was cuddly, and then we got him home and. Not as cuddly as I would like, mm. but um, you know. but he's your Patrick. But he's Patrick, and I I do love him. <laughs> he's just not the cat I wanted, <laughs> but yeah. he's the cat I've got. So he's with me f- till the rest of his life. Kind of like my body. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So what I'm hearing there is, are, are we saying maybe the cat thing isn't a bigger deal than the dog breed? I feel like maybe yeah. I I, I feel like cat breeds in general maybe a less follow the rules a bit less closely than dog breeds generally and maybe because there's such a like there's such a wider variety of like size of cat uh, mm. compared to size of dog breeds um, obviously all cats are within the you know range of three to ten kilos whereas obviously for dogs you get anything from one kilo to 80. <laughs> so there's yeah. a, you know, there's a big range of, um, of kind of size and that can impact on behavior and, you know, how they interact with people and all yeah. that sort of thing. So you mentioned the, um, the short snout dogs of, you know, being notorious for issues and the long, uh, back or spine dogs, uh, mm-hmm. being notorious for issues. Are there any broad brushes with cats um, there are some cats that get uh, like chronic kidney diseases. Like I think ragdolls actually get a polycystic kidney um, disorder and that can require the intervention of, of surgical intervention. Um, but I think that's less common or at least seems to be less of an apparent issue. It's certainly not gaining as much media attention. But cats in general are quite um, hardy. They do like to hide their issues though, having said that. So some cats will be unwell for quite a time before they show you that they've got some signs of being unwell, which can make uh, kind of early intervention difficult because they're not really sharing um, their their illnesses with you. So that, mm. that's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Speaks to the MO of the cat personality, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. They, they just, they like to do their own thing and mm. don't touch me and, um, you know. My dream is to have a British short hair cat. Oh, yeah. They're cute. And I want it to be a female and I want it to be an absolute bitch and I want to call it Marguerite. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you, who knows? You might be a good cat person. Yeah, but um, don't buy me one, everyone. <laughs> that's right. No surprise animal presence. Um, so as someone who isn't a poor one yet, when adopting from shelters and rescues, uh, there's a question here like what to look out for medically. Like shelters and rescues, are they good screening practices? Um are there anything um, to look out for? Yeah, I mean, there is something called uh, cat flu, uh, which is a, a kind of a syndrome of a, it's a respiratory syndrome in cats, and it can be prevalent in so in uh, shelter situations. So it's it's one of those conditions that can occur because of overcrowding um, and stress and uh, and young animals with lower immune systems. So mm. you know, a lot of those things occur in shelters and so you get this um it it can be really hard to to manage that but most of the time if you're when you're adopting from a shelter they will know if the cat has had 
um, fluey issues and they'll let you know. And, and they do recur, like that some of these viruses that cause the flu syndrome are endemic in the cat population and every cat has it basically and it just sort of will may or may not flare up at times when they're a little bit stressed or things have changed and they don't like their situation or you went away on holiday and you came back and now they're mad at you and now they're, you know, they're unhappy. <laughs> so, um, which can happen. Cats are really bizarre with how they will tell you they're unhappy with you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and sometimes wow. uh, you, they will poo or uh, urinate outside the litter tray or they'll poo in your washing basket or, you know, wow. they're just like, and often that's a behavioural thing. And there was actually a comment about um, their cat doing something odd behaviorally or they were told by their vet that it was a behavior problem and they've had health issues ruled out. Yes. And um, that that just means that we can't find a physical uh, reason to explain the problem that you can see basically, mm-hmm. which m- means that it may be a, a psychological problem, like a mental well-being problem for your mm-hmm. cat. Um, and it could be anything like you've I don't know, you, obviously other things like bringing a new animal into the house is, can be really stressful for cats or even changing the furniture or um, moving, moving uh, bedrooms or new people coming over. And, you know, cats are very, can be really particular about what they like and how they like things to be. And then a change of anything can, can uh, disrupt their routine. And then they, the way they cope with that is to, behave abnormally. Would that be at any age or? Can be at any age. Yeah, Yeah. right. And any cat can do it. I mean, I feel really fortunate that my own cat has not, you know, sprayed around the house or pooed anywhere that he's not supposed to. And, Mm. you know, I mean, it makes me feel lucky that I got a, a, not a cuddly cat, but at least he's not toileting all over the house. (laughs) So a lot of people, you know, you've heard stories of rescue animals uh, that have had trauma there is a bit of an unknown when you bring an animal home. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that there's an unknown when you bring an animal home, no matter where they come from. Mm. I mean, even uh, if you do choose to buy a dog or a cat from a breeder, um, you can go and inspect the premises. You can go and, or you should be able to, if there is a breeder that doesn't want you to come and inspect the premises, and that's definitely a red flag. And you, mm. I would look for someone else um, that's going to allow you to come in. Um, you can see the parents usually. Um, the, the male may or may not be on site if they've got a dog from somewhere else, obviously. But, mm. um, you know, that's a really important thing to see how they've, how they've been cared for up until the time you get them because there is a period of unknown and um, the most important sort of socialisation period for cats and dogs is when they're really quite young, like from the age of like six weeks to, you know, three or four months is when the most uh, you really need to expose them to all the things that you think they might exposed to in their lifetime um, so that they can become familiar with it and learn that it's not a scary thing. And, um, you know, one of the other issues about shelter dogs, they certainly have had trauma. um, And I mean, having a dog from a breeder may not, you know, rule out that they've had some sort of trauma in some way, like depending on how they've been raised um, and whether they've been exposed to uh, kind of the sorts of things that you want them to be able to to survive with uh, in your life, um, they may or may not cope very well with the change um, and their ability to cope with change is a really important factor um, mm. in, in, in dealing with a new animal at home. So in bookending a, you know, a potential poor one, Laura McCarty said, 
best dog breeds for apartment living or just stick to cats? Like, <laughs> you know, one of my properties, they, because I'm totally happy with any of my properties for people to have pets. Like, I don't care. Like, just, I, I tell the real estate agents, it's like, when you inspect, mm. I care about the smell because if it smells, that's a red flag that we're not clean. But, you know, there's been no smell, so the people are good. But, you know, some people that were in a one of my properties had a cavoodle puppy, which is awesome and cute, but just got bored during the day, scratched all the doors. Um, mm. But, I mean, welcome to puppy life. But, yeah, you know, that type of stuff aside, like any specific dog breeds that are good for apartments? I mean, I, I think there are some dogs that are better or worse. So, so the, the, the generally low energy dogs are, are, I think, better for apartments, Be- assuming that they're going to be left alone in a relatively small area for extended, like hours at a time, assuming that that's the, the situation. Then I think the, the lazy kind of dogs uh, are better or the, the ones that don't want to run around the you know, run around the dog park like a maniac. So basically working breed dogs would say terrible in apartments. Mm. Uh, probably a lot of the terriers, like the really active terriers like Jack Russells are probably not great for apartments. Um, and then you get some better dogs like Greyhounds or Great Danes or... Um, what about the Whippets? Yeah, Whippets are, are good too. Are they Greyhounds? They're like, are they're they like, baby Greyhounds or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. They look like Greyhound, but they're smaller uh, and they're yeah. a different breed. But yes, yeah. um, they're super cute. <laughs> they're very delicate Whippets, like... Um, very, can be very sensitive, um, mm. and uh, they they do like a run, but I think they're they're not quite as low energy as greyhounds, but they're they're on in that scale, and they're very people oriented. They love to be with their people, so which is a uh, obviously. But I mean, thing. on that whole uh, cavoodle thing, if you are working from the apartment all day, the companion yeah. dog could make sense. Could could make sense. I guess the thing is that for and particularly for puppies, it you know puppies are really needy. Like mm. they just, they're like, they're babies, you know, they need attention. And when you don't give them attention, they find something to do, you know, they, they want to be with you and they want things to do. And yes, when they're really young, they'll run around for like five seconds and then sleep for three hours. And that's great, mm. <laughs> but they're not like that, in, you know, beyond the age of six months usually. Um, mm. So then you get this like terror dog that just doesn't want to, not necessarily, they're not being terrors. They're just being puppies. They're just being yeah. young, you know? So, um, yeah, it's it's really. I think it would be really hard to be able to work from home and have a young puppy uh, at home with you and constant and do both well. I think that would be mm. difficult. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, for me, you know, when I've talked about this stuff before and people have you know asked about buying animals and all that, my whole thing is just make sure it is an appropriate animal for your situation. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. You know. You may have heard, for those who have heard the podcast for a long time of where I used to live with the dogs, that they just weren't suited to the yard and they just Mm. barked all day, energy. It was just sad and it was borderline Mm. abuse because they didn't get walked and Mm. it just has to be appropriate. But um, moving on, do you want to talk about nutrition? Sure. There were a lot of questions in the Facebook group about raw versus not raw and grain-free or yeah, so I'll, I'll just start with Gracie Matilda. Thoughts on raw feeding cats versus a traditional wet and dry food prescription diet. Can vets provide a raw feeding plan that provides cats with the same or better diet than pre-prepared food? And then Ella Hannon said, hey, Ella, how are you? I'll visit you soon in Brisbane. Is wet food better for your cat than dry food? So I'll hand it over to you, 
let's talk about yeah nutrition, wet, dry, kibble, not kibble, vegan, organic. Big topic. Um, mm. So uh, for cats, uh, wet versus dry. Uh, generally, uh, wet food would be better um, because they get more hydration from wet food. Obviously, dry food is by definition dry, um, so that means that they need to drink all of their water intake. And cats are typically not great voluntary drinkers. Um, so I think back in back in the wild uh, when they were big cats, they would get most of their water um, from their food because they would hunt prey, obviously, and, and mm. eat, eat most of the carcass. So in today's cats, obviously, most of them aren't hunting prey, and if they are, they're probably not eating them. They just bring them to you as a present. <laughs> um, so ideally... Maintaining hydration for cats is a really good, is a really important thing. So wet food will give them more hydration um, in hopefully a very palatable form. Um, but you know, I things change over time because I remember when I was um, vet nursing that we would tell people um, that dry kibble, you know, a premium quality dry food is all they need, and that's fine, and that's 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 the best thing that you can do for them, you know. And I think things change over time. We get more information, we learn more, we do more studies. And um, now we generally think that there are better, you know, it might be better to, to give your cat some wet food of a good quality to help with their hydration. Um, now, kibble is highly processed. I mean, it can stay at room temperature for months, you know, so, it, mm. you know, so, so by definition, the food is highly processed and, um, and has very long shelf life. And when you think about, uh, you know, even for people, we typically say for ourselves, stay away from processed foods as much as possible, you know, like the, mm. the healthy diet is fresh food-based. And there are some vets um, these, days, these days that think the same thing for our animals. And I don't think, I'm not a, an expert nutritionist, so there are veterinary nutritionists that have done a lot of studies about this sort of thing and definitely know more than I do. Um, but there is kind of a new, uh, and I've seen some of them at pet shops, like there's some fresh food options for your dogs instead of kibble. So they're mm. manufactured um like in a, in a lab somewhere and it's got all the macronutrients and micronutrients that your dog needs for a healthy diet. Uh, and there are companies that do the similar thing for cats. Uh, so they, they will offer you like a um, – you can buy your raw meat and then you add a supplement, like a powdered supplement, and mix it through and that's a, a like a, a raw complete diet um, formulated for you. So it sounds to me that, you know, premium is always going to be better. So if in doubt, premium wet food – yeah, and the thing about um, if you're going to make your, if you want to make your own raw fit, like if you want to feed your cat or your dog a raw diet, um, there will there are some risks with some pathogenic contamination, like and you know bacteria live in meat, um, and you know I you would I would strongly recommend buying human grade meat to feed them because uh, ma- manufactured pet meat, like pet meat rolls and things like that, are usually from knackery animals and they may have all sorts of toxins and chemicals and drugs that may not be good for your animal as well as micro microbial contamination so by a raw diet are you meaning literally chicken that isn't cooked yeah um fish that is other red meat yep yeah yeah yep and a lot of people swear by it and and you know that it's healthier and that it's good and you know and that may be and i think that it's probably one of those situations where you know, there isn't a one thing that suits all the cats or all the dogs, you know, like some mm. dogs will do fine on one thing and then others will need a different thing and that's normal. Is it worth like 
and I don't own a, a cat or a dog, but like when I was a kid, we had one of those dogs, you know, you couldn't leave kibble dry food in the bowl because just eat it. He would eat it you all, know, yeah. Yeah, where some cats and dogs, you just leave the dry food there all day and when it's hungry, it will eat. Yeah. Is it worth, you know, okay, every second day you get fed dry food once a day, the alternate days is wet food? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I guess the idea is to kind of figure out something that works for you and for your animal, you know, like as long as they're meeting, they're, they're getting all their daily um, requirements and that they're not losing weight or gaining weight, then there's a little bit of a do what you feel, you know, like if your animal is in good health, it's got a good condition, good coat condition, you know, everything is normal, then do the best that you can afford. And mm. I, my own dogs for the last 20 years have survived on kibble and basically nothing else and they've been they were great. My border collie lived till she was sixteen, and you know that that was that was her life. She didn't she didn't get super excited for mealtime because she wasn't super food oriented. But mm. the thing about giving them wet food is it gives them a little bit of variety too. You know, so mm. they do actually appreciate some um, some change. I think in their in their food. There's a couple of comments here. One from Alana Louise. One from Ash Young about grain free. So have we got um, gluten-free dogs now and cats or? Yeah, so gluten and grain, um, different things. So there are there is also uh, gr- there's grain-free food for cats and for dogs and uh, I think there may also, I'm not certain if there may be gluten-free food as well. Um, now. Are grains bad, quote unquote? Well, no, grains aren't bad. Sure. But, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously one of those things that, has a complicated answer. <laughs> yeah. um, but there is no real need for your dog to be on grain-free food unless it has a grain allergy. Like right. for people, you know, there's no real need for you to be without gluten unless you have a gluten allergy. Like there's a systemic problem that arises because your body is rejecting that ingredient. So pet food uh, and other pet ownership trends often reflect human social trends, you know. So right. the, the, the kind of interest and um, uh, research into human dietary preferences and fads and, you know, all that sort of thing, that can kind of comes across to, to animal um, nutrition as well. Um, now, cats are a bit different because they have a different, different metabolism to dogs and so they really don't need grain um, and grain-free is probably better for your cat than a grain food because they're 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 obligate, obligate carnivores, so they need most of their um, nutrition from meat, and that's that's just how it is. Um, mm. Whereas dogs are a bit more omnivorous, and they can actually survive with um, a bit of carbs and meat and other things as well. So, just on the food thing, like you know, swinging it back to being a money podcast, like if you're a, a pet owner and your budget is tight, I don't think you need to be shamed into spending all your money on premium raw pet food when there could be some quality wet or dry food that doesn't cost you $300 a week. Yeah, absolutely. And I really do think that the best thing that you can do for your your pets is to pay attention to them and do the best that you can afford. So you need to just be you know, be observant about what they're doing. Like, you know, as long as they're well and you, you do the right thing and you get them checked when you think they might need it um, and they're, you know, doing normal poos and wheeze and they're not vomiting and, you know, the, all of those things are working fine, chances are they're fine. But you just need to um, pay attention, I suppose, to what's happening. Um, and, and whether it's kibble, supermarket kibble, premium kibble, you do get what you pay for in that the proteins in the premium kibble is usually 
of a much higher quality and there's less fillers, but do what you can. I, my, my, my dog's growing up, you know, ate supermarket food, chum, I think, or pal. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, and they live till their teens, you know, but I mean, we know more now. And so mm. when we know more, we sometimes try to do better, you know, when we know better. So if you've got a cat or a dog, is it a general rule that once a day is fine for food? Uh, it kind of depends. There, there How do you some... know if your dog's hungry or your cat's hungry? <laughs> well, it's a bit. It's sometimes hard to know because some mm. dogs and cats just like to eat, and mm, they'll like eat my dog Jack much. growing up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they'll eat as much as you are prepared to give them. We had um, a lot in common, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, that's an issue because if they just keep eating, they're just going to get fat, and then that's its mm. own you know, comes with its own set of problems. So my own dog, I was feeding her kibble until fairly recently and I've changed over to a, a sort of a fresh food option. Um, uh, but she would leave kibble in her bowl all day long. And mm. now I'm feeding her fresh food. She eats it all up. And initially I was like, oh, does that mean you're hungry? Now you're sitting at your bowl and it's empty. Um, but I think that she would, she likes it. So she would probably just eat as much as I gave her, which would result in her being fat. So, you know, over the first week or two, I just weighed her regularly and she wasn't dropping any weight. So I figure she's, she's actually on the right amount and she's not hungry. She's just wanting more because it tastes good. So Mm. that's something that you just have to assess from the dog or the cat itself. Some cats are crazy hungry, um, but there are some conditions that may increase their appetite too, some health conditions. So yeah, right. um, diabetes is one of those in cats, um, like it uh, can make you hungry. And it also, uh, if they're overweight, that predisposes them to developing diabetes as well. Are there any human foods that you just shouldn't feed your cat or your dog? Yes. Um, for dogs, I think it probably applies to both, but dogs specifically, grapes, uh, avocado pips, and, uh, and on the grapes, Thing, any raisins or dried sultanas, anything like that. Um, garlic, onion, chocolate, um, oh, anything with xylitol in it. So like um, some peanut butter might have sweetened, uh, be sweetened. Not so much here, but I think in America there's a lot of um, mm. peanut butter that has xylitol in it. Uh, human toothpaste, if you were going to use human toothpaste on your dog, sometimes it has xylitol and that's toxic mm. to dogs. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of things. <laughs> so it's just like anything, common sense, use your brain, you know, if you keep feeding your dog or your cat food and you're wondering why there's diarrhea every second day, well, it might be the food. Um. Yeah, and there was a question actually about uh, a dog that vomited, kept vomiting and didn't want to eat his food and he was a raw-fed food, raw-fed um, dog. And, you know, I think if you've got a vomiting dog and you're feeding raw, you might want to consider a foodborne illness because, you know, pathogenic bacteria, like there are disease-causing bacteria in raw meat. Um, and mm. so food safety is one of the big uh, sort of, I think just a daily issue if you're going to feed your dog or cat raw food because mm. um, like for humans, you know, we take steps to reduce our contamination with if we're using uh, raw meat uh, and by the same token, you need to do the same thing for your dog or cat if you're using raw meat and you have to be vigilant with how you store it, make sure it's stored properly and that you don't use it past its, you know, uh, its mm. best before date and, you know, so that just kind of adds a complicating factor to daily life. Um if you're going to feed your animals raw food. Yeah, yeah, wow. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about teeth, puppies and round it out with some other fun stuff. We'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, we're back. Teeth. There was a lot of questions in here about dental hygiene and teeth. Big issue. Liz Bridgie, what are the best ways to look after our dog's teeth without putting them under sedation uh, for a vet to, you know, clean and do all that every year or so? For example, we use seaweed supplement and non-weight-bearing bones. What are things that we should be taking into consideration when making a decision around teeth? That's interesting. You know, growing up... Just, you know, a million years ago, I don't even know if we bothered. It was just, if it went to the vet for something, I'd obviously open its trap and have a look. I don't know. Like, what do yeah, we do? And I don't recall. I mean, we had dogs when I was growing up too, and I don't recall them going to the vet for dental cleans at all. Uh, I, I hardly ever recall walking them, to be honest. So I think there's probably a lot of things that have changed in pet ownership since I was a kid. Um but uh, so dental health is really important for, for obviously for cats and dogs and important for people. And a lot of the things that we consider important for us are also important for our, uh, for our pets. And mm-hmm. the best way to keep your dog's teeth clean is to brush them actually with toothpaste uh, formulated for dogs and a toothbrush, uh, either a finger toothbrush or, um, uh, or a small kid's sort of toothbrush with soft bristles. And mm-hmm. if you can, like there was someone that mentioned that they had trained their dog to brush their teeth um, every day. And that is absolutely the best thing that you can do to reduce the likelihood that you're going to have to have um, a a dental under an anaesthetic um, at the vets. But, Mm. you know, to get a thorough clean, you will still, they they really should still have um, a veterinary uh, dental under anaesthetic um, because, you know, to do deep cleaning, like for us, you know, you can't, the clean that you get at the dentist is different to brushing your teeth at home. And it's the totally. same kind it's the same kind of thing. You know, like you can't assess dental you can't assess the gum health and how much recession of the gums there might be or if there's any pocketing or if there's any you know, you can't assess any of that unless they're under an anesthetic. Um and there has been a thing in the last few years of anesthesia free dentals for cats and dogs, and that terrifies me because I just can't imagine how you can properly assess the teeth and the gums of a cat or a dog um, without an anaesthetic. And mm. I just I just don't think it's possible. And I think anyone that's advertising that they're trying to do that uh, is taking shortcuts somewhere or other and it's they're probably not doing a very good job. So would you, as a best practice, say once a year take your animal in for a, a 
tooth inspection and clean or every 18 months, two years? Yeah. Look, I mean, obviously be guided by your own breed and... Yeah, and it depend, depends on the breed. So there are some of those short um, flat-faced dogs have um, crowded teeth, you know, so, it's, so they've got like a short jaw. So that means they've got the same teeth but they're all just squished into the one, um, you know, small location. So you mm. can get issues with overlapping and then food being stuck and then you get decay and, you know, so there's all sorts of things that can happen. Um, but generally inspecting your um, animal's teeth as much as they allow you to and my own dog barely lets me look at her things. So, you know, <laughs> it's annoying and mm. I want to be able to inspect her and she refuses. She's a little chihuahua mix. So she's, um, you know, tells me when she doesn't want me to touch her like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I bet. Yes. <laughs> but being able to just at least have an, like, at least eyeball the teeth, like yourself or your vet, at least have a little look um, as best you can while they're awake. And then if there's anything that they um, generally think uh, that they think might be an issue, they may get you back to have a look under anesthetic. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that it's very difficult to tell while they're awake unless it's a major issue. Like obviously if they've got bad breath and you can see tartar build up, then that's a good sign you're going to need to have an anesthesia and have mm. a dental done. Yeah. Well, there you go. Let's move on now to some puppy talk. Mm. Leanne said, good timing, planning for a pup in a few months. <laughs> what are some myths to training and things that a new pup might need, quote unquote, puppy school, specific foods, supplements, yeah. all the things add up. And there was a comment in there from Pete, someone, I don't think it's on the, because we had almost a hundred questions. I don't think I put it on here, but I remember seeing a question about vaccines. Yes. And do we have anti-vax cats and dogs or yeah. do we just jab them or what do we do? Yeah. Now? So um, over the last little while, they've formulated a uh, three yearly vaccine for dogs for the core vaccine. So that's um, distemper, hepatitis and parvovirus in dogs. Uh, and there is a specific vaccine that is designed to be only given every three years. And, you know, until probably 10 years ago, everyone was just giving yearly vaccines as standard because, you know, parvovirus is a deadly disease and nobody wants to get it. So, you know, prevention is better than cure. Um, but there was some evidence that maybe over, there may have been some over-vaccinating and it may have been causing other issues. And so there's right. some evidence for that. And so now there as an option, an alternative to that, you can do the three-yearly vaccine um, or the other thing you can do is do antibody testing. So you can take a, get a blood sample taken, um, have it looked um, at by, by the lab, and then they can tell you if you've got adequate level of antibodies for that condition that you're vaccinating for. Like we do for rabies, if you need to get a rabies vaccine, um, they might check your antibodies instead of just vaccinating you without, without checking. So that's an option. Yeah, wow. So puppy preschool and yes. to- what do you do? Kittens have kitten preschool? I just do well, what they're told. They, yeah, well, no, they don't do what they're told, but they do what <laughs> <Yeah>. they want. <laughs> exactly. um, but no, um, as far as I'm aware, there's not really a, 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 a I don't think there's a, a kitty equivalent for puppy preschool, but puppy preschool is is a, a, a must, I think, in my opinion. Um, you know, as I said before, the uh, the the, mo- the crucial period for young um, dogs is from like six weeks old to four or five months old, you know, like that's that's the period that's the golden age where you mm. can expose them to all the things that you think they may get exposed to in life um and which and is other dogs right other dogs people trams buses you know traffic thunderstorms you know music you know or, or everything because mm. um if they don't get exposed to that when they're young chances are 
they'll hear it for the first time when they're an adult and they'll go, what the is this? This is scary. I'm going to go hide, you know. So to, to build a confident dog, you really need, they, ideally they would have good exposure to a range of situations when they're young in that critical period um, and then you ongoing you would continue to expose them and use positive reinforcement and give them lots of treats and you know and and they'll grow up to be a confident dog um there are a lot of over the last few years there's been some myths well there's been some bad dog trainers around Mm. and there's been some bad dog training television shows as well um yeah so uh, i don't know if you remember cesar milan um very famous like lots Uh of books lots of tv shows Anyway, he kind of coined the alpha role, like you've got to dominate your dog, your dog's trying to dominate you, you just have to oh, like gosh. be bigger and be better than like, you know, overpower them mm. and that's just just terrible. <laughs> it's related to Andrew Tate. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, but now that we know, we know better, we know that if dogs are fearful um, and scared, then they don't learn very well. And I think you can say the same thing about people, you know. People don't learn very well if they're scared of being punished, you know, and the same rules apply for our puppies. And basically you can't – I don't think it's reasonable to expect a puppy to – you know, they don't just – they don't come out good. You've got to build a good dog, you know. You've got to make one and and you've got to make a a dog that suits your lifestyle and does what you want and you've just got to teach them. Like they don't come out knowing how to behave. (laughs) Yeah, well, they're little. They're like little people. They're (laughs) babies. And what about supplements for uh, kittens and puppies? Are they Um, required? I wouldn't really think that uh, any young animal needs any supplements if they've got properly formulated kitten and pup or puppy food. Um, mm. Obviously, the, the, they need different levels of fat and, um, and protein in their diet. So ensuring that they do get a puppy or a kitten variety, um, that would usually be sufficient. Um, yeah, I can't think of any, any supplements that would be required for young animals. Yeah. Any other, you know, good housekeeping for being a new poor one? Oh, just have fun because yeah. they're wonderful, but they can be really challenging. And, you know, when they do the wrong thing, it's not because they're trying to annoy you (laughs) and they're not chewing your things, chewing your shoes and the furniture and ripping things apart and tearing up the toilet paper. They're not doing it to be a pain. They're Mm. just young and curious and figuring things out and uh, teething, so to speak, um, because that's what they do. And, and, you know, we have to be a bit gracious, I think, with our our young animals when they're growing Mm. up. (laughs) And children. And children. I don't have children, Apparently, but I'm sure that I've heard that that's, that's, yep, I've heard that similar rules apply. Oh, man. I was just thinking now, like all this stuff, it's like if we were doing a, a parenting podcast, all the rage of like, you can't tell me how to manage my kids. It's like, whoa, yeah. we're just having a chat, people. If it, if it works for your dog or cat, awesome. Go forth. We're just having a bit of a chat. Um, yeah. yeah, cool. So, Kittens, you know, we've talked a lot about puppies. Mm. Anything, you know, kittens that we need to be aware of? Well, they've got very sharp claws. And yes, <laughs> yes. So um, if you're um, an older person and you've got thin skin, you might be, you might just need to take some precautions if you're going to play with your kitten mm. because there's um, 
they're they're very like sharp. Anticoagulants or whatever they call it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. If you're on blood thinners, then be careful. <laughs> um, yeah. The other thing, I mean, hopefully your cat's not biting you, but um, cat bites and cat scratches can be very serious in people. Yeah. So if you ever get a penetrative cat bite uh, anywhere, you need to go to your GP as soon as possible um, and get some antibiotics like ASAP because um, the bacteria in those mouths is just um, horrific and there's there's people – uh, I know of people who have been in on IV antibiotics for weeks um, after a, a, a reasonably shallow cat bite. So especially wow. around the hands, and it's obviously that it's often the hands that get um, that get bitten because they're intervening. Um, so just as a little heads up for everybody, if you get bitten by mm. a cat, go to your doctor. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Let's move on to some other random questions, and we'll round it out. Uh, there's another one from Ella, who actually last year got attacked by her cat. And it scratched her face and it looked like she'd been in a fight. It was mm, horrendous. Terrible. Yeah, Very bad. she won't mind me saying that. But yeah, but she loves her little cat. But she's got a question. Do cats need routine checkups at the vet or is it okay to only take them to the vet if a problem arises? Yeah, so that's probably a bit of a um, a bit of a situation-dependent one. You know, some cats get really stressed at the vets uh, and that's not an uncommon um, situation and you know a stressed animal it can be really difficult to get a good uh, to assess them properly to get a good reading of where they're at you know because there are a lot of things that can change depending on how stressed out they are um, so I mean ideally as I said before cats can hide a lot of things for quite a while before they will show you that they're having an issue so mm. I do think that uh, you know in general pre- prevention is better than cure so if you're seeing a problem already, it may be a bit harder to get it under control, depending on what it is, obviously. But, you know, there are obviously things like, um, you know, cat bite abscesses. If your cat's been outside and come home and it's got a sore leg, you know, chances are it might have been bitten by something and it's got an abscess and that obviously needs to go to the vet. Um, but there are some medications we can give cats um, prior to their vet visit, which is really helpful for calming them down. Um, so, you know, if I, I think one it would be one for caddy, one for owner. <laughs> that's right. That can work, <laughs> um, and I think it might be better um, to maybe go down. That. If, if the reason you don't want to take them every year is because they're stressy, um, then it might be a good option to start giving them some kind of anti-anxiety meds, um, so that um, you can take them to the vet. Because you know, obviously, you're going to need to do that at some point or other in the future, um, and being able to do it without them stressing out is a is ideal, obviously. With that anti-anxiety medication for cats, in hu- like in humans, do you ha- does it have to be like a couple of weeks to get to a therapeutic level or is it just there you go, 10 minutes later we're going to the vet? Well, it, it depends on um, depends on the type of medication you're going to give. So sure. if you want to give it, give them something for a short-term um, kind of relief for an event in the near future, so either um, in the next sort of 12 hours or in the next 12 to 24 hours, then you can give them something that will have an effect very quickly. Um, sure. And then and it builds up a little bit over time. So you give it the night before and then you give someone the morning of and then they're usually um, pretty calm and, and chilled out. If you've got an ongoing behavioural problem um, or you've got ongoing kind of um, anxiety issues, then you may need to give daily medication and then it will take some time for it to build up to therapeutic levels. Could it be a thing that, you know, like Ella, for example, do I just take it when it's, you know, mm. sick or, you know, it's barking when it shouldn't be barking or it should be meowing or whatever? Yeah. Um, it's like every 18 months we're just going for that dental 
Yeah. Share? I or, mean, I think I it's know. a good thing to, to, to get your animals to the vet um, with some regularity, um, you know, at the very least, I mean, especially if they get past a certain age. You know, there are lots mm. of things that develop um, with age in cats and dogs um, and other things like lumps and nails and, you know, there's yeah. just all these things that your vet is looking at them with a different set of, with a different viewpoint, you know, and they can, yeah. they can ask you questions that are, that may point to something being a problem that you weren't even aware of. So I, I just certainly think that there is a lot of value in going to have a chat with your vet at, at the very least, maybe um, every two years, ideally every year, yeah. but you know, in an ideal world. <laughs> Yeah, Nicole had a question similar with uh, we have a cat with terrible anxiety when he mm. leaves the house. He gets scared to go to the vet and muzzled, which only compounds his fear. Yeah. And she kind of talking about uh, how travelling vets and, mm. you know, yeah. are we missing out on much? And I don't think you would be. You just, what, call your local clinic and ask if they do home visits. I mean, you will pay for it, but yeah, it I mean- helps, right? In my experience, I don't know if there's heaps of clinics in the cities anyway that do do home visits now, but there are a lot more mobile vets around. Um, so they sure. actually are primarily mobile vets and they may have a, an affiliation with a bricks and mortar clinic, um, which they can refer you to if you need something that they can't handle. Um, so they usually have a relationship with a bricks and mortar clinic. Um, but I think uh, in-person home visits is a really good option for a lot of those um, dogs and cats that are really stressy when they have to travel or if they just go into the um, so, how do you know if you if your cat has anxiety? What are some signs? Or the dogs? Are they, yeah. do they sheepish? Do they hide? Yeah. So all of that. Um, hiding. Yeah. You know. Um, I guess meowing. Some cats have this really uh, different meow when they're feeling stressed, and they um, they they just have a, a different voice. Um, yeah. And um, when my cat sees the neighbor's cat, he makes this particular noise, and he just <laughs> you can tell or you know what's happening because she's making that noise. <laughs> um, Patrick's so, probably saying, "What's up?" Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's not that. Uh, it's not that suave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and there's similar signs for both trembling. Um, my own dog trembles like out of her skin when I take her to the vet, which is very mm. disappointing. Um, and they may become aggressive. Um, they may, you know, not want to come with you, um, you know, resist being handled. And, and you know, obviously the, the kind of end point of that is that they'll, they'll bite or try to bite you if we're pushing them too far. Um, so uh, I think the um, – I forget the um, person's name who asked that question. But Nicole. Nicole. I think she um, – her cat sounds like a good candidate for um, both a mobile vet visit as well as some pre-appointment medication either the night before or the day and the day of um, mm. to reduce the anxiety because, you know, muzzling the cat – I mean, it's clearly the whole thing is just overloading his – like he just can't cope with that at all, mm. and that's and a, that trauma would be remembered for next time as well. Right? Yeah, absolutely, and it's just it just makes handling of any description a lot harder for next time. You know, there's going to be a, a million reasons why you might need to handle your cat or dog, and mm. pushing through their you know the signs that they're telling you, I don't like this, I'm not coping. Just forcing them to deal with it is it doesn't really it doesn't certainly doesn't help you for next time. You know, like mm. you really need to try and um, try and. Uh, address the problem and tell, like, communicate with them that it's it's okay and that nothing terrible is going to happen. And then, um, and it's a really it's a really slow process and it can be really difficult and it requires a lot of time and input and you know repeated effort and you know consistency. And you know, I'm going out on a limb here, but with a if you get a puppy or a kitten, 
can you somehow try and go to the vet in those influential weeks or months and make it a positive thing. It's absolutely. Like, yep, that's a great idea. You jump in the idea. car, you get a treat, you walk into the vet, you, I don't know. I'm just... Yeah, absolutely. Exposure is a really big, th- it's a really, uh, really important way to try and reduce fear on certain situations. And, mm. you know, a lot of vet clinics will run, will run a puppy preschool, you know, at the clinic. And it means that the, the pups come into the clinic regularly. It's always a good thing. You get to see other puppies and you get to have fun. Um, and they're all vaccinated as well. So they're all mm. of the same immunological status um, and you're of less risk of contracting anything that's infectious. Um, so, you know, it's a really um, going to the clinic when they're young and even just even when they're older, going to the clinic for no reason except to go and say hi and get a treat and get maybe mm. jump on the scales, check the weight, and then um, off you go. I mean, that works better mm. for dogs. Cats, you know, they have to go into a carrier, which is also a little bit of a stressy thing. But, mm. you know, some cats love their carriers at home and it's a place for them to go and it's a safe space. And if you leave it out and open, um, they can go into yeah, it. Yeah, could you ever kind of trick it to think it's a, yeah. it's just a fun place? Well, <laughs> yeah, if you're willing to put in the, the time and the effort to make it happen and your cat is a kind of a social put cat the cat and enjoys it. inside the carrier. You could do you that. You only yep. get fed in the carrier. <laughs> you could do that, yes. <laughs> Oh, far out. Um, Sean Jade says, chronic UTI in male cats, any information or advice? Mm, that's a hard one. It'd be breed specific, wouldn't it? Mm. Not, or do a lot of cats get them? Yeah, a lot of cats do get what we call a blocked bladder or blocked urethra. Um, so if you have a chronic UTI, it's there's a chronic uh, inflammation usually of the urinary tract. And um, chronic u inflammation causes a kind of strictures and, and stenosis of a, of a tube, like a narrowing of the tube. So it mm. makes it harder for things to pass. And so then if they, it's often to do with stress levels. Um, so there are things you could try, like, I mean, maybe he's a chronically stressed cat and, and um, maybe trying some anti-anxiety meds may be helpful or um, trying some Feliway diffuser um, around the house, which is a sort of a plug-in. Um, it's a pheromone plug-in and it just supposed to, distribute a calming um, calming scent for cats. Mm. and But that's a really difficult one and it's such a situation-specific kind of problem um, that, uh, I mean, it can be diet-related. Sometimes that changing the diet can help, but, yeah, it's a yeah. difficult one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. You know, there were a couple of topics and I didn't really want to go there around, I guess, your industry and profession uh, but did you have any motherhood comments around being a vet? I mean, there was a comment in there around prescriptions and someone was like, oh, they're more expensive dispensed at the vet. Well, mm. yeah, they're running a business. Um, you know, what do you expect? I don't know. Um, There's a lot of um, people are often really unhappy with how much it costs to um, seek veterinary attention. And, you know, and that, and it's just another thing to add to the list in this particular environment that, you know, prices are going up and, you know, and, and everything's really expensive now. Um, I guess the change from probably when I was a kid to now is, you know, we know a lot more about companion animals than we did back then. And we can do a lot more now in clinic. And society's expectations of what we should be doing is different, you know. Like, you know, there are, uh, like shelters used to, um, you know, put to sleep a lot of dogs because they, they had too many dogs and cats, you know, like years and years ago they would just put them to sleep because there was no homes and they were sick and, you know, but that doesn't happen anymore because it's no longer acceptable. 
society doesn't want us to do that. And so, and similarly with vet care, like a lot of people want more from their vets. They want to be able to know what's going on. They want x-rays, they want MRIs and CT scans, and they want, you know, lots of diagnostics and specialist opinions and surgery. And, you know, you can do brain surgery on your cattle dog. You can have a brain tumor removed from your dog if you want, you know, like Gosh. that's amazing. And that, and that all that comes at a cost, you know, you can't have those sorts of facilities and that expertise, you know, for no, no cost to people because they're not, unfortunately for everybody, there's no Medicare for pets and the cost of all of they that. They need one called petty care. Petty care. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really hard. And, and, you know, these, all these professionals have worked, studied for a really long time and they're really highly educated and they work really hard and they do long hours and all these really high expectations of them to, mm. to perform and to get things right and to make sure the outcome is good, you know, but there's only so much that vets can do. Like they, they do their best and, mm. you know, they, 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 that does come at a cost and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, like it's kind of, you know, I'll probably sound like a, you know, rude old, you know, sod or whatever, but like no one's forcing anyone to buy or adopt a pet and, you know, we are lucky that we live where we live in Australia and it does cost money to look after and provide medical care for your animal, which you've chosen Mm. most of the time, you've you know, there's probably a small percentage that are looking after an animal that they've inherited or, you know, whatnot. But in the main, we all make decisions and we have to lay in the bed we make. And if you're not financially strong, maybe not get the pet just yet. Hmm. Yeah. It's a luxury and, I, and I'll, I'll probably get a lot of hate for that when I say it's a luxury. And for me, like, I totally get it. My investment properties. I don't care if people have pets. I mean, if someone says we've got a Shetland pony, I'm like, well, sorry, it's not going in my apartment. But, you know, dogs and cats, I'm, I totally get the value that they bring to people's lives and they're awesome. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll be getting a dog one day. But there is that balance um, that it's choice and you need to make sure you're informed, you're making conscious decisions about the breed and the type, yeah. and that you can financially support that furry little friend. Yeah. And, I mean, I certainly don't believe that, you know, pet ownership is only for, you know, certain um, parts of society that can, um, that have lots of disposable income. You know, I absolutely don't believe that. Like it is a luxury, but you don't have to be rich to have a pet and and give it a good life and to look after it. You know, you just need to be aware of what you can provide and do the best that you can do and pay attention and talk to your vet about what the options are. You know, there's always a best practice option and then there's, you know, there's less uh, kind of best practice options um, in a tier below that level. And yeah. no vet wants to give you a bad outcome. You know, mm. most vets got into it because they love animals. And, well, they're the most compassionate you people know, you'll meet, like, like we to really, be Yeah, there's nobody that's in it for the money, I can tell you. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, they just, they, they love, they want to help you. And if you communicate mm. with them what your limitations are, they will do their best to help you. Yeah. And be nice to your vet. Be nice to your be vet. Nice. <laughs> be nice to everyone. I'm like, I've just really made a conscious decision. Even if I'm in a bad mood, I'll always be nice. I think it really goes a very long way to um, yep. improving people's day. How's this? You know, those call center, oh, there's like a chat thing. Like mm. I was, I did a chat and they connected me to the agent and it was actually Newcastle Council here. I had an issue. They forgot to pick my bin up or something. 
And I'm like, hey. And she's like, oh, can I help you with anything else today? I said, you do me one more favor? She's like, sure. I'm like, have a nice day. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> like on the screen, I'm like, just be nice to everyone, yeah. whether it's your vet or a chatbot. Yep, goes a long way. <laughs> uh, any final comments that you want to make? I mean... There's been a lot happening. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of uh, yeah. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of topics there. Um, I've got a question, actually. Yeah, go ahead. What's with the the fluffy little pouch that cats get? Oh, uh, I think it's just um, fat. Oh, <laughs> just just a bit of excess skin and a, and a bit yeah. of extra fat. Um, yeah, yes, I've seen okay. a bunch of little theories on uh, memes on the internet about what it is, but. Um, you know, evolutionarily, I'm not aware that it's got an action that's got a function. Yeah. Um, so yeah. my my understanding at this point is it's just fat pocket. But yeah. <laughs> someone yeah, can correct me if they know better. <laughs> yeah. And why did the dog's legs move when you scratch its tummy? <laughs> oh, because it feels good. You know, like yeah. sometimes, yeah. And uh, or maybe they're a bit itchy. Um, you yeah. Know, like sometimes when you, you scratch somewhere on your own back and you feel it somewhere else and you you need yeah. to scratch another area. So. It's just yeah. they're they're more similar to us than we than we realize sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll finish on this unless you've got other stuff to say. When you've got a partner and you're thinking about starting a family, a lot of people I know have got the the dog or the cat before kids um, and then introduce the child to the animal. Mm. Is there any real best way to do it? Have your baby then get a pup or a kitten or Um I don't have any like um, real answers on that topic, uh, except to say that I think, you know, puppies and babies um, both require a lot of attention and work. So I would suggest not having both at once <laughs> if you can avoid it. <laughs> um, yeah. So probably an adult dog and a baby is a better combination than like a baby and a puppy um, if, if you can yeah. plan things that way. Um, yep. You know, I think there are lots of dogs that adjust just fine to a new baby to the, in the house, um, but I think there are probably other dogs that don't cope that well with a, with a drastic uh, change in the attention level they may be getting. You know, mm. like if you're really involved with your dog and you spend all, like, you know, plenty of time with it and then all of a sudden you're like, you have, you know, you're not really paying them any more attention. That's, I mean, it seems normal that that might present like some issues for the dog and you know I, I just think it's going to be a very situation dependent um except for you know whatever's going to take your attention like it's going to be hard work <laughs> yeah yeah totally well i i think i cut you off before with the cat fat uh oh, no, that- <laughs> did you have any final <laughs> comments of anything that we did with that we didn't cover um no, maybe I'll just say one other thing just about when our um, our dogs and cats get old, you know, like there's, mm. you know, hopefully they're with us for 15 years or um, more. If my, my own mum has a cat who's 19 um, and, you know, she's still pretty good. Um, but, you know, as they get older, there are lots of things that um, interventions that we can do to make day-to-day life a bit better and easier so if they've got mobility issues there are some medications that can be really effective to help them get around you know like and if you've got an old dog and you've got floors or like uh, floorboards or tiles you know putting down some rugs or some non-stick rubber matting or something like that 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 really helps with um with them getting being able to get around and do the things that they normally do um and having like some steps or some ramps around for them to get on the couch or the bed if that's where they go and you know, so there's just um, if your pet's getting old and you think there's nothing to, that you can do for them, just have a chat to your vet because there's a lot of things that we can do these days that, you know, um, arthritis can be really painful and, you know, there's lots of things that 
detract from our daily life if we're feeling not quite right and, you know, just have a chat to your vet and, and ask the question to see if there's something they might be able to do for them. Mm, yeah, no, that's a good one to finish on. It is, it's exactly really sad. Like my sister's dog, uh, Bambi, she was a chihuahua cross foxy terrier. Oh, cute. And, you know, I just, Bambi, she was just part of the family and, mm. You know, I got to the stage where Bambi was blind and deaf and just weed everywhere and it's just mm. like, Lauren, you you guys have got to do something. Like this is yeah, terrible. And, you know, those they're hard decisions because the dogs, you know, and she had arthritis, like mm. she'd lived a life, mm. um, but there obviously has to come a time where we have to make a decision before quote unquote natural causes. That's, that's the, that is the hardest thing I think about mm. um, being a pet owner is that the, the joy that they, that you can share with them for so many years. And then, I mean, in a way it's a privilege and that you can um, kind of make a decision for them at when it's, when it's the right time, you know, and it can be hard to assess when the right time is, but I think if they can't um, get up to toilet themselves or if they're soiling their bed, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty strong indicator that, you know, maybe you've reached the end because, mm. you know, nobody likes to lie around in their own, you know, in their own waste. Nah. Um, and if you, yeah. no one chooses to do that. So if they can't get up to toilet, then that's a, that's a, a really kind of um, key indicator that, that maybe we need to make a decision. That's mm. the hard thing about pets. They're, we're almost always going to outlive them. And that means we have to make a decision and it's usually a really difficult decision. And it does speak to that you know, where possible, having that long-term relationship that the pet has the same vet, if possible, for a long time. Yeah. Because you might not be able to see it and your primary caregiver, the vet or whatnot for the animal, Mm. can be like, hey, this isn't good. I need you to have a think about some hard decisions. Yeah, and there are some tools that we can use for you to to kind of um, help assess quality of life when it gets to that stage like there are some things to think about so that you know when we see them every day and we get used to caring for them and we get used to doing all these extra steps to make life better for them every day you you kind of you get so um insular and you kind of forget how it um how it looks to others you know and and what objectively the situation is like you know you're so into it that you just your perspective changes obviously and you lack a bit of perspective on what's appropriate mm. and what's not and so you know like there's a whole you know there's some uh, some tools that we can use to to help people objectively assess how good is their pet's quality of life and mm. that can help you make a decision before it's too late you know like before you know they, they pass away when you're not home or something you know like and mm. I think it's nicer to be able to make the decision and send them off on a good note rather than have them kind of pass without you knowing about it yeah Mm. totally sarah thank you so much for uh all your words of wisdom today it's been a great chat i've found it fascinating and i really appreciate your time oh thanks glenn it's been great to chat to you We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.